pray with me again, and pray with me before we go before the Lord, before we open up his word together this evening. Our Father and our God, we all come before you because we know you and we love you and we need you to guide us in every aspect of life. And we're thankful that your word speaks to so many things of life and that it's practical for us and that it's practical for our church and that it speaks to real life issues and then it directs us towards paths of righteousness to avoid the pitfalls and cliffs of false living and thinking, things that do not glorify you. You reveal the way for us to live and walk and go as a church, as individuals. And so even as we turn to your word again, as we always do at our church, because we need to hear from you, that you would show us something even and apply to our hearts important things for our good, for our upbuilding and edification. We pray that our time this evening would be edifying for everyone who's here and would be glorifying to you. We say this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, have you ever gone somewhere expecting a relaxing, good time, never thinking in a million years you'd expect something negative to come of it, only to get there and something completely out of your expectations ends up happening to you. Up to this point in my life, I have not been much of a camper. I like the outdoors, but with all the little children we've had for so long, kind of at younger ages, we haven't been able to fully wrap our minds around all that work of making a weekend and camping work in our stage as a family. Someday we might be brave enough and get all the right equipment and figure it out. We like the idea of camping a lot, and so do I, but just the actual practice of it has not happened much in our home yet. And growing up for me when I was a child, my family also, just to add to my, pra- my infrequent practice, my family had one traumatic camping experience that kind of put a damper on the whole campground situation in my childhood. And it really didn't occur after this unexpected weekend. Um, It didn't occur to us that we would run into this situation. Now, I was probably eight years old, and my little brother was around five or six years old, and we went camping with our uh, neighborhood friends and families all together, so multiple friends at a campsite. So my dad went out and got all the equipment and prepared for what was supposed to be 
of really relaxing weekend. My brother and I were so excited to shoot our BB gun with our dad and friends to go hiking, to, to cook hot dogs and s'mores and such. But the trip, you see, it took a grim turn. And when we were going camping with some other families and their teenage daughter and their friends happened to be camping uh, at an adjacent campground. And she came, one of, the, one of the teenagers connected to one of the families we were with came to her dad and to the rest of us complaining about some campers who were drunk and giving them a, a really hard time at the campsite. Long story short, these campers happened to be so drunk and belligerent and also armed with a handgun. Not a good, not a good combination, as you could imagine. Now, when my dad pulled up to the scene, he saw one of his friends being punched by one of the troublemakers. And when my dad tried to intervene and help his friend and grab this guy who was taking it out on my dad's friend, another one of his friends who also pulled up to the scene happened to say to him, Dave, which is my dad's name, Dave, let him go. He's got a gun. Then my dad stopped and had a gun pointed to his head by an unpredictable drunk man that fateful summer. Now, thank God that he didn't pull the trigger but needless to say, after that event, we packed up and left as we found out that after the police got involved, they would likely maybe spend some time and potentially get released at some point. And so our relaxing camping trip took a kind of a, a really unexpected turn, and it wasn't relaxing. It was, it was more traumatizing than, than relaxing. It's kind of like what we have today, this evening, in our passage. When what should be a safe place and an edifying environment during a worship service in a local church, for crying out loud, turns into something completely unexpected at a communion worship service of all things when the Christians of the church of Corinth get everything backwards in their divisions and sins, even when they're going to the table to take the Lord's Supper of all things. You see how backwards that is? Not, not what you'd expect. So let's turn and see from our text. Uh, this portion of scripture, to be clear, will be very familiar with you because we regularly look at this passage during our monthly communion service together. Uh, but some of these other areas surrounding the passage might not be so familiar, might surprise you a little bit. So let's see what it has to say. In point number one, Divisions reveal both the genuine and the fakes. Look with me now at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verses 16 through 19. If anyone is inclined to be contentious, we have no such practice, nor do the churches of God. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. 
For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Now, if you have ever experienced church divisions and conflict, you know that the experience is one of the worst things you can go through as a Christian. Because the safe place and family setting that local churches can and should be turned into a place of fights and quarrels and gossip and slander and backbiting and grudges and screaming matches and ghosting can be a very traumatizing thing as you just don't expect that from the church, do you? We don't. Like my family didn't expect to almost be the subject of a 2020 murder story at a campground that summer. Last thing that was on our mind. And as I have taught before, the Lord's Supper is a family meal of blood-bought, baptized Christians who side by side remember Christ's death for them together regularly until he returns again in the future. This is a church ordinance. One of the only two of them that the Lord Jesus Christ instituted, along with baptism. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And the local church is a place of love and family and gospel work together, carrying out the Great Commission. We've got so much to be doing. So why do sometimes we fight? And how unexpected it is. It's such a contradiction. It's not supposed to be a place of conflict, division, factions, and fighting. But did you notice what we just read? The early church had this problem too. And Paul is not happy with it, but he's also not surprised by it either because he's a realist knowing what the scriptures teach about the sinfulness of man. And he knows that there will not only be sin that must be dealt with in the church amongst believers, but then that there are also wolves who sneak in amongst local churches who are fakes, and they're just wolves who are dressed up in Christian clothing, dressed up like sheep when they're not sheep. They're not Christians. They look like Christians, but what are they? Wolves. They're not sheep. They're wolves. And Paul shows us here in an unlikely way, really unlikely, in a church division and conflict that he had heard about, and he said, serves the positive purpose of revealing those who are godly and genuine versus those who are hypocrites and fakes. Do you see the contrast in the division that Paul brings out here? Paul's like, I know all about your problems and about the divisions and the divisive people and all the problems that are caused in your church. This is a real bummer. This is not good at all. It's sinful and not the way it's supposed to be. But there is a positive byproduct that will come from it, he tells us. You will see in the very division and the infighting in the church 
those with pure and godly motives versus those with ungodly, unbiblical motives and intentions. Do you see the contrast there? If there is a person who sneaks into the church with a metaphorical gun, so to speak, and they start wielding it in their sinful ways with their words and actions, the godly, you see, and genuine believers will be seen, hopefully in stark contrast to those who are fakers and just showing their true colors by their wicked and sinful practices over and over again. It's a collision, and it's a contrast, and you see, oh, that, that is just off. That is not spirit-wrought, and, and this is. This response was godly and, and humble. This response was wicked, and it's just clear. You see the contrast in the division. You've all experienced this exact thing with professing Christians in your life. I know it because we're in a fallen world. I know you have in churches, maybe even this church. And when you see these types of people's sinful, godless actions, what is it revealing to you, really? It should be showing you their hard and unrepentant hearts and just putting their true colors on display. Paul is simply saying here, don't miss it and notice the genuine ones amongst the divisions when they occur. And also by implication, notice the fakers as well and call them to repentance and stop associating with them if they're unwilling to repent for their divisive ways. You see how these things are coming out here. And this topic came up earlier in the letter of 1 Corinthians, as Paul says, if we just rewind, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 10 through 12. What does he say? I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Paulus, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Divisions are not new in churches today. They've been going on back then. There's even church member names pointed out in the letter. Isn't that practical for us? So apparently, we see here in chapter 1 that divisions can also be amongst genuine Christians and their sinful ways. Then we just saw in chapter 11 before here, our passage, there are also divisions that are revealing the genuine in contrast to the fakes. There could be divisions for all these different reasons, amongst real Christians, amongst Christians and wolves, and there's a lot of different things. So not all divisions are due to wolves and fakers, but, but some are, let's be clear. But either way, whether it's divisions amongst genuine believers or divisions amongst a wolf and genuine believers, divisions are things to be repented of and worked out in order that there can be unity and like-mindedness to the glory of God. Either way. But when divisions are caused by contentious and patterned divisive people, I'm not talking about one person who has a bad day and is sinful and then repents the next day. I'm talking about patterned divisiveness. It's who they are. It's their character. Like the pattern unrepentant adulterer, or like the, the pattern unrepentant gossip, 
or the pattern, unrepentant, divisive, contentious person. It's, it's part of who they are. It's more than just a sin repented of, but it's their character. It just comes out of them. It's who they are. They're not someone you want to mess with because they're contentious. They're divisive. They're, they're always causing issues. They're always coming against everybody else. They're always stirring the pot. I'm talking about patterned people. This is who they are. It's their true colors. Let's be clear here. What do we need to do in light of that? We need to side with the genuine ones and the truth against the divisive ones. Even if the divisive ones are our friends that we've known a long time. Look with me at Titus chapter 3 in verses 9 through 11. For the very clear way, Paul tells us to deal with characteristically divisive people like that. What does it say? 1 Corinthians 3 Verses 9, but avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him, knowing that such a person is warped and sinful, he is self-condemned. You see that? Someone can be so deceived themselves and divisive in their very character that they are warped and condemned, sinful. They will not change. They don't see it. They're not humble. They don't ask for forgiveness. What will you say? Like, well, reach out to them. Hopefully they repent. What if they don't repent? And what if they keep doing it again? And what if they keep hurting people over and over again? causing an infection in the church because it's a, a patterned aspect of sin. What do we do in this situation? They will continue to bring churches and Christians down, and Paul just says you need to call it out, call them to repentance, not, not coddle them, not just be like, oh, it's their personality. You know, I, I knew one preacher of old who would always blame inappropriate things from the pulpit by saying, I'm a New Yorker. <laughs> it's like... I don't care if you're a New Yorker. You can't say those things. That's an excuse. We need to warn people of their sinful ways that are wreaking havoc. And if they don't repent and don't listen, you have to protect the flock. We have to protect the flock and guard against divisiveness, a divisive person, and no longer fellowship with them for their lack of repentance. You warn them once, and then you warn them twice. It's just who they are. You warn them for the bajillionth time. They're still the same. They're not sorry. They don't see it. Their hearts are hardened. Their eyes are blind. Their ears are shut. They're against everyone, and they're not going to change. You see, the faker may be revealed in the division, and if he or she is, she should be exposed after the warnings as a warped person through the discipline and oversight and accountability of a church until, for their good, until they might repent of their divisive ways or else it's just going to tear a church apart. It's going to tear you personally apart if you're dealing with someone like that as well, just in your interpersonal relationships, even if it's outside of the church. People like that could zap you and just take the whole ship down. This is serious stuff, but I hope you can see it's just really practical. Really practical, because churches who don't practice this biblical wisdom and instruction will chase their tails all over and around and everything with divisive people, 
And the congregation will be badly hurt by a person like that. So we need, what do we need to do? We need to let the division reveal the genuine ones amongst us and side with them against those causing the divisions. And that's just really helpful wisdom from Paul that applies right here in our local church. So church, let's heed this kind of thing. Let's pay attention to it. Let's, let's live in light of it. Let's quickly move also to our second point because we've been going for a while in this first one. That's definitely the longest one. Let's move on to point number two. We saw the divisions reveal both the genuine and the fakes, but now let's see that division in number two twists the purpose of communion. It just twists it itself. It just twists it. Let's see it in verse 20. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? And do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall we say? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not, says Paul. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this is the cup. This is the new covenant in my blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, this is a scene here in this church, isn't it? Sounds like something you'd read in a tabloid. Church members get drunk on the Lord's Supper wine during a church service. You can see that. I mean, what? what? Excuse me, you're scrolling on your social media feed and you're just like, what was that? Is that even true? Well, it's in the Bible. It happened right here in the church of Corinthia in Corinth. What in the world is going on here? Paul is saying that the Corinthian church had turned a church ordinance into an unrecognizable, indulgent party for gluttons and drunks to have their fill. Well, it almost seems unbelievable. If we didn't have it in the scriptures, we wouldn't have thought that one up. I mean, churches have many different problems, but this is, this is a problem here, right? Whoa! Puts things into perspective a little bit. Wow, some, some things were going on here. This church that needed to be addressed. Their sinful practices were so bad that their actions actually turned what they thought was an ordinance of the church into something that was no longer the ordinance that Jesus initiated in the, in the Last Supper. They were thinking they were doing it, but by the practice, they just, <laughs> by their terrible sinful practices, it's just, that's not even the Lord's Supper, Paul said. Like, you think you're doing the Lord's Supper, but this is a mess. So clearly, anyone who tells you that God doesn't care how we gather and worship him apparently hasn't read the letter to the Corinthians by Paul here, have they? Oh, it doesn't matter. Just do what you want. Do what just comes natural. Do what's in your gut. Just show up and just be... It doesn't matter. Just do, People talk like that. But not only does Paul tell us, as we saw in our daily Bible reading... Recently, as we've been in this section here, which is why I chose this passage, 
But we go on from there. We see other places that the church gatherings are to be done in order according to what God has revealed for our edification, as 1 Corinthians clearly tells us. There is, there is order, not chaos in a church. There are things he wants us to do and things he doesn't want us to do. It's a dangerous thing to play flippant games with the worship of God. And here the ordinances are being completely demolished by their sinful practices. Apparently there is a way to mess up church. So bad and so much that churches can think they're practicing something religious in a service that is eradicated and erased by their very sinful practices. I think about, quote, churches that completely have abandoned God's word and the gospel by their every so godless whim and ethics and truth. They just abandoned it and they're teaching things that are directly contradicted by scripture in twisted, deceiving ways. Churches that don't hold to the authority and truthfulness and inerrancy of the Bible and preach the whole gospel, even sin and repentance, even the areas that are tough. Churches that don't do it, guess what? They're not churches anymore. Some churches abandon the gospel by the preaching and teaching and practice, and we just have to call a spade a spade and say, there are some churches I don't want anything to do with, and I don't want you to have anything to do with it. I hope the doors shut soon because of how wicked their practices, because of how wicked their teaching. But in our modern sentimentality, it just seems weird to say that. But I think it's biblical. You think it's biblical? Is this an implication here? Is this what the Bible teaches? If I'm wrong, I want to talk to you afterwards. You talk to me and say, no, Daniel, that's a little much. Daniel, I don't see that implication here. I, I'm, I'm open to feedback about what we're seeing in Scripture. But I think the Lord takes it seriously, and I think this passage reveals that to us. Also, notice that Paul doesn't stroke their ego and tell them what they want to hear. And he would have nothing to do with that kind of flattery, as we've seen in our Galatians series, he was a truth-telling friend and not, not this kind of hypocritical pandering to everybody else's, you know, different to this person on this day and then different to this person over here speaking out of two sides of his mouth. No, he told the truth. He didn't flatter. He wasn't, he wasn't just trying to make everybody like him. Not someone who was going to mince words with a sinful church here. That's good. you got to admire that in Paul. He said, I cannot commend you because what you are doing is clearly sinful and I'm going to call it out. You see that? And call it out he did. Indeed, didn't he? But he doesn't just call them out. He points them then to the wonderful family meal and rejoicing and united fellowship that the Lord's Supper was always meant to be. This is bad. This is terrible. How dare you? No, he's like... Oh, it's so bad because of how much you've twisted it. Look at the gentle and lowly and humble Jesus giving of himself, and here you are just messing it all up, taking, not caring for people, divisions, fighting. It's not what it was meant to be. This is a communion together where we remember the Lord's death together with great joy as Christians all the way until the time Jesus comes again in his second coming 
churches all over the world, throughout the world, have been recognizing the Lord's Supper and communion together from the time that Jesus took it there in the Last Supper with his disciples throughout the early church, throughout all the different years leading up to this very day. And churches everywhere take this together in fellowship, united in the gospel. Not a divisive, selfish, kind of indulgent fest that they were trying to do, but love and brotherly love and care and family unity. And it's just different than what they were practicing. This leads us to our last point here today, to see in number three, the divisions at the communion table here, it actually brings judgment. Look with me now at verses 27 through 34 for the end of our passage that we're looking at this evening. Verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat the bread and drink the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But then we are judged by the Lord, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give you directions when I come. It looks like Paul got derailed with this issue here. He's got a lot of other things to talk to them, but because of these conflicts and controversies, he had to, just, he had to, he had to make adjustments to his plans and address it there. And I just say this about this whole sermon and this whole topic. This relates to other areas, not just communion. You can be like, well, we don't take communion that way, and that's not an issue, right? That's not the point. That's the point here, and it's there, but we want to see implications there from what we're seeing in the early church to apply to other areas as well, because certainly this relates to all different various types of divisions and conflicts, right? Not just a communion issue. We're just like, okay, well, we don't have a communion issue, so then we're okay. No, there are other issues where these things can apply to. So let's see what it's saying so then we can see the implications therein on other areas. I could have titled the sermon, How Not to Eat and Drink Judgment on Yourself at the Lord's Supper, instead of contentious communion like I did. You see, we need to heed God's instruction to us through the Apostle Paul here or else we're going to be in danger of being disciplined by the Lord. Some people even got sick and died for their frivolous taking of the Lord's Supper, as we saw. We've seen this before. You can't blame sin for every sickness. But there are biblical passages that do show that sickness and sin are associated in other places, like this. So sometimes it can be, but we can't know exactly but it's always a potential awareness, as we see here. There's other places that point to that as well. But then there's other places that say, it had nothing to do with sin. This is a fallen world. This is for the glory of God. You know what I'm saying, the different passages um, as it relates to these things. It's more complex. Sin, 
consequences, things of that, more complex and just flattened out. There are things over here in Scripture that we have to believe in while we believe in things over here. So the man born blind wasn't because he was sinned, but so that the works of God may be, but may be revealed. But these people sick in the Corinthian church, some of them it was because of their sin. They're really sick because of their sin. You see that both of those things can be true. We need to take the warning seriously and ensure that we put ourselves or put our put aside our divisions and selfishness in our churches, or else we too might engage in practices at a church in an unworthy manner. We don't want to do that. We want to learn from the mistakes here. This is why Pastor Wood and myself guard the table each month when we present it. We point out that this is a family meal for believers who've been baptized and are actually remembering the Lord's death for them until he comes through the elements of bread and the fruit of the vine that represent Christ's broken body and spilled blood for us. For that matter, it's so interesting when unbelievers want to take communion. It's like, what are you, what are you even doing that for? I mean, this is for Christians. It's Jesus died. If you don't believe that Jesus died for you, then you shouldn't be taking it, you see? Oh, it's tradition. People come to church, they expect it. We don't want to put that pressure on our family members and friends, even if there's someone we're close to. If they're not believers, they shouldn't be taking this family meal. These elements we take together point us to the visible symbol of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They symbolize that. And only those who trust Christ should, should be taking the Lord's Supper And to be clear here, it's not a meal for perfect Christians, but repentant and repenting Christians. And Christians, though, who are selfishly acting in unrepentant, sinful ways, causing division, causing issues, factions, they must ensure that they get their hearts right and start acting more like Christians by discerning and caring about the rest of the body of Christ instead of their own selfish preferences Because Christians who have grudges and conflicts and anger in their hearts against others would be better not taking the Lord's Supper until they get all that worked out due to the serious warnings of the Apostle Paul. For the believer, discipline is not retributive justice. Believers don't experience God's judgment in the sense that he's going to pour his wrath out and send them to hell. No, the believers, though, do experience fatherly oversight, fatherly correction, and consequences of their real sins. And we have to be careful in these things because the Bible reveals to us how serious it is. Unresolved conflicts and things amongst Christians ought not be the case. It shouldn't be that way. It's not what you'd expect from the church because that's not how Christians act. We need to repent for that kind of thing. And this whole topic of judgment is often confused because we are like, oh, you know, we can't judge anything or anyone. Uh, You know, don't ever judge anything. And that's just like not what the Bible teaches. Even on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' teaching about judging does not mean that we don't make sober judgments. Within the context, as we saw in the Sermon on the Mount, he is making judgments. Jesus makes judgments all over. He calls us to make judgments, including judging ourselves having sober adjust, uh, assessments of our own lives, we should be the first person that we judge. If you remember the whole, the plank, the, the humble, the, the plank in the eye, like, like see your own plank before you try to deal with the speck. You can make a, a judgment that someone has a speck that you want to help them out. We want to help people in their sin, okay? 
But make sure that you're humbly dealing with your own plank in your eye, Jesus says, before you try to deal with the speck in your brother's eye. We make judgments. We need to make judgments to protect our families, to protect our church, to guard against false doctrine, to guard against false living. We're not just like, doesn't matter how you live, just do whatever you want, everything's okay, there is no sin. No, we make biblical, humble judgments, not judgmentalism, not pride, but godly, biblical judgments about things, starting with our own self-examination. You see that? And if you are a repentant and repenting sinner, then come to the Lord's table in the grace of the gospel, because the Lord's Supper is for forgiven sinners, not perfect people, forgiven sinners trusting in Jesus. Not at all people who have it all together. Don't mishear me here. If you're, in fact, if you think you're not a sinner, don't come to the Lord's Supper either because you're not a believer, because you're confused and you don't know the gospel and you don't even know what the supper is representing. This is his body and his blood broken and spilled out for sinners. So it's kind of hard to come and take this communion if you don't see yourself as needy. Needy for the Savior of sinners. But if you have all these conflicts with other members of your church or believers, just drop everything and make it right before you even dare to take the Lord's Supper based on a warning like this. It's one of the graces of regular participation in the Lord's Supper. I'm glad that we take it more regularly. We take it monthly. Why? Because there's a kind of self-examination that goes on built in to the church calendar that if we didn't have it, we could kind of like forget that kind of stuff. Because who likes thinking about self-examination? <laughs> Naturally. Not a lot of people. So it's good that we have it. Remember Matthew 5, 22 through 24, to really press this home here in close. Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount, verse 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hellfire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled with your brother and then come and offer your gift. Do you see that this reconciliation takes priority even over the worship of God? Because he doesn't want your worship while you're living hypocritically with this division with your brother and sister. He wants unity. He wants you to live with short accounts and address these things, not harbor up bitterness and anger. You all see how really relevant this is in all of life, don't you? We know that it's relevant. Drop everything and initiate reconciliation with your brothers and sisters even before you go to worship God. Make unity and working through potential division a priority in your life, priority in our church life. Can you imagine what this would do for the health of churches and the health of our church if all of our members really took this to heart? This would be great. Oh, it would be glorious. It would revolutionize our practice and love and care for each other and lead to much good and flourishing in all of our lives. So remember, if you come to church, you may experience divisions even when you'd least expect it. Like my family experienced on the campground that weekend. Didn't expect it. 
But when we do face those divisions, let's make sure we listen up to all the important direction and wisdom that Paul gave us in this very passage. Because if we don't, we'll be a church torn apart by division instead of united together as God calls us to. And let's pray for this unity that I know God cares a lot about and loves to answer prayers as it relates to. Let's pray right now in closing for this type of unity. Father, you are so good and glorious and your word, it just speaks directly to our lives and it gives us healthy truth and clarity in the midst of confusion. I pray for my brothers and sisters who are here or watching online, if they have gone through hurtful, tear-inducing church conflict and division because of sin done against them and done against others, and then sin compounded upon sin when churches don't deal with and address and clearly apply the truths of Scripture and the snowball of division and contention rips them apart and rips churches apart. I pray for my brothers and sisters who have been hurt in those very personal, sharp, painful ways. Oh God, would you heal them up? Would you help even a passage like this give them eyes to see and clarity about the fact that you speak to these things and you don't just leave them alone, but you give us direction? Would you cause all of us as a church, those of us who are here, and just the rest of our body, to live in obedience to your word, to promote unity, love, brotherly affection, even as we go on now and pray as a congregation, Lord, that these would be on our hearts, that our lips would, would pour out these requests to you because it's so good and healthy and clearly revealed in your word. Thank you for giving us direction here. Help us as a church to have unity. Bring healing where there's been pain as it relates to this. And help us to live in faithfulness according to your word. We say this in Christ's name.